0: You are Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. And this was an absolutely wild one. Uh, It was not exactly what I expected, though the hope was always there for a really fun game, and it turned out to be one of the best regular season games of the season so far, might even end up there. And the Warriors came out on the short end in double overtime, Houston won 132 to 127, and because I didn't get home until after 1 a.m., I figured I was going to do it as a solo podcast, but it ended up being that my original guest was still down to do it, and we ended up talking for a while, and that my guest is Tim Pontemps of the Washington Post, fellow Insomniac. Was He covered the game in person. I was actually uh, did the Twitter NBA show, so I was watching from San Francisco, but uh, we, we had a lot to talk about, from the Draymond kick, Curry fouling out, to the play before that, which got lost in the shuffle. And we both t- wanted to start there to start with regulation and what happened during the game itself. And so we got on a lot of topics and this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. You can use the free SeatGeek app. You download it, use the promo code L O Warriors for a $20 rebate on your first order. Again, L O Warriors on SeatGeek and the conversation runs, I think it's about 45 minutes. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for talking to me at one 15 in the morning.
1: Uh, well, I never sleep anyway, so I might as well be up and I'm on the way home from Oracle after uh, the game of the year that I don't think anyone's going to talk about because of uh, extracurriculars, which tends to be usually what happens. So here yeah. we are again talking about silliness.
0: Let's focus more on, on the original part of this game, you know, with regulation. And there there are a lot of different parts of this, but for me, the Rockets overall just played a very good game.
1: Yep, 100%. My takeaway from today, I mean, in a macro view, is I think the Rockets are the fourth-best team in the West. Now, you know, I know people like Utah. I know there's people who probably would cater for teams like Oklahoma City or Portland or, you know, whatever. But I look at this Houston team, and I just think it's a really perfect fit for what Mike D'Antoni wants to do. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't overly thrilled with the contracts I had out this summer. I thought, you know, Ryan Anderson getting 20 years, a lot of money – um, for four years, I thought Eric Gordon, obviously is a talented player, but as an injury prone guy getting, you know, four for 52 was a lot, but you know, let's, let's just look at what they did, right? They went out and got guys that fit exactly into the way that Mike D'Antoni wants to play. And you look at this Rockets team, they've got a ton of shooting. Um, James Harden running the point is by far, you know, the best ball handler D'Antoni's had, um, in, in his system ever you know, since leaving Phoenix, um, really isn't even a close comparison. He's he's done a phenomenal job orchestrating pick and rolls for them. He did that tonight; it was brilliant, I thought. Um, putting up another triple double, and you know, I just think that I just think what the Rockets are doing is sustainable. You know, they they could have some injury issues, but barring that, I just think they're largely doing stuff that's sustainable. Where I look at some of these other teams in the West, and whether it's because of injuries or other issues. Um, I, I just wonder if, they, if what they're doing is sustainable. So um, don't mean to turn Lockdown Warriors into a rocket spot, but I, I just was incredibly impressed with the Rockets. And, and although there's going to be a lot of other stuff talked about and stuff that Golden State didn't do, you know, I think to your point, I think, I think it would be unfair to not credit them for really playing a terrific game.
0: And something that Houston did that the Warriors will eventually need to do. Well, needs is probably a strong word, but they got a lot out of their bench players. And Mike D'Antoni, over his coaching tenure, has consistently accomplished that. He has put players in the right role. And at the beginning of the season, they struggled with that because they didn't have everybody. They didn't. They had to play. They had to play Tyler Ennis. They had the whole issue with how to manage Gordon and Harden. They were getting annihilated whenever Harden was out of the game. And now they're able to keep their heads above water during those times in a way that even I would say the Warriors don't
1: yeah no I agree Uh, I thought Sam Decker in particular was really good off the bench tonight for the Rockets um you know you you mentioned you mentioned him you know playing guys and, and making pieces fit you know Decker kind of did a little bit of everything for them. They, they played him. You know, Dantoni even stuck with him down the stretch at times over Patrick Beverly, which, you know, I had a scout asking me why isn't Beverly playing, and I kind of tended to agree with the scout. But, but Decker gave them good minutes. And, and to your point, you know, Dantoni throughout his career has done a nice job of, of manufacturing a bench and, and turning guys into productive players for him. And, you know, if they could get some guys like Decker, and, you know, they, they sat in an A out on purpose the night they have an A coming off the bench. Eric Gordon is, you know, kind of a, a perfect six man for them. Um, you know, if he's playing off the bench, you have to think he's going to be a prime candidate for six man of the year. You know, it's, they just they've kind of done a nice job, to your point, of balancing things out, and and it's it's really started to work out pretty nicely for him.
0: The deliberate sitting of Nene could have been a real problem, especially considering how long this game went, but. Montrez Harrell on David West. That wasn't all the minutes Harrell played, but during those minutes he had a major advantage because he's just so much more athletic than West at this point.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Like for all of the talk that, that we've had about, you know, what are the Warriors going to do at center? You know, the Warriors don't have a guy like that. And it's not to say Montrez Harrell is great, but what it, he what he is is an athletic young guy that can that can move the needle a little bit. And you know, I think you hope long term from a Warriors perspective that that's what a guy like Damian Jones could maybe do. Um, but but yeah, Harrell was good, and and I you know our our friend Kevin Pelton tweeted during the game that you know that that could be a, uh, an indication, even though it's a small sample, that you know maybe the the Rockets or have a little easier time letting Donatus Motiunis go when he signs an offer sheet with the Brooklyn Nets tomorrow uh, because they have a guy like Harrell back there. But, um, yeah, I mean, he, there's just another example of D'Antoni, you know, going to the bench and, you know, kind of giving a guy like that some prime minutes in a big spot and getting getting some benefit from it. And, and that's something that, that can really pay off for Houston down the road is, you know, guys, you know, get some extra confidence from playing well in a big spot like this.
0: And not that Warriors fans need to look for any solace in a game like this considering the Rockets are a very good team and it was decided in overtime and everything else but the Warriors did well in this game despite Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry shooting a combined 13 for 42.
1: Yeah I mean those two and Kevin Durant went 10 for 37 from 3. I mean you know for I mean to your initial point I mean people freaking out about the, the Warriors losing a double overtime game to a very good team. Um, you know, in a, in a situation like that is silly to begin with. I mean James Harden's one of the, the ten or fifteen best players in the league for a reason. I mean he, he's capable of having a game like that. Ryan Anderson and Eric Horton are both proven scores. Um, you know, that there, there's there's no shame in losing a game every now and then. I do I do think that the, the thing that actually that that to me actually more than anything else about this game was the the Warriors really got pounded in transition. I know I know they didn't uh, I know they didn't give up uh, uh, there was a huge difference in terms of fast break points, but it just seemed like the Rockets were able to get out and run on them a lot. And that, that's something that, that I, you know, I think we've noticed at times has been an issue with them and it's something that, you know, I think at some point down the road they're going to have to correct.
0: It is. And that can be a combination of a couple of things. A little bit, it was execution, but f- from my eyes, the transition issues have been more about effort than anything else. They just yep. haven't really brought Agreed. it in that way and they should get better. You know that that's the type of thing that improves when the stakes are actually high, but they're not caring as much. And what's I guess you'd call it frustrating about that is that it's not like they're crashing the offensive glass or anything. You know, like c- certain teams, you have to make that trade off of one or the other. That's not what they're doing. They're just not getting back on defense.
1: Yeah, this this kind of goes back to the thing that I've harped on a lot, which is these guys are not playing this regular season the same as they have the last couple of years, and that. That's not. it's really not a criticism. It's more just a statement of fact. I mean, when you've gone through the number of games these guys have gone through so over the last, you know, couple of years, and the amount of miles they put on themselves, it's it's understandable that after you know, especially the heartbreak that went at the end of last season, it's understandable that they're not going to have the same amount of energy and effort on it on a night-to-night basis. But 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 you're right. I, I think I think the biggest symptom to this to the transition defense problems has been has been effort, and you know that is something that you would you would like to think it's just easily correctable with an increase in effort, but it's also not the best habit to be forming, um, even if you are 16-3 and, and and playing quite well.
0: Certainly. And, uh, you know, you get that it was more of an ire when the game was early because later on Kerr just went to small lineups more, but it was like, oh, why, are you, why is McAdoo playing? Why is Ian Clark, not Ian Clark really, but David West and all that kind of stuff? And the answer is because it's the regular season. You know, I'm not worried about, what they're like, if the Warriors are going to go small more often, I mean, we've talked about the idea of, you know, the, the late games of the finals, meaning something, but whatever you think about the playoffs, the Warriors should not be going small that often in the regular season, because basically everybody involved has admitted that it's a lot more physically demanding for them.
1: Yeah. Like you and Nate have talked about before, it's, it's obviously a bonus if you can play small. But it's also hard to do. And so, to your point, you don't, if, they, if you don't need to max out and do it, then don't do it all the time. And, that, you know, that's clearly what Steve's doing. He's playing all these guys, you know, and spotting a bunch of minutes for – for these average to below average players at the center spot.
0: Yeah, I'd say some of them are. Are you could even dance with comfortably with below average. I mean, Mcadoo had that had a decent little stretch and then, or had some flashes in it and then had some other just shakiness. But and also those guys, you know, this was a double overtime game. None of the traditional big men played more than nine minutes and. I was actually frustrated that if one of them was going to get more, I thought JaVale McGee, he didn't have the greatest performance, and the Rockets are not the best matchup for him, especially without Nene there. But, you know, I I wish they would have given him a little bit more. But again, these are all micro issues, and it's an 82-game season. We're less than a third of the way through it, so you just kind of have to roll with it a little bit, as much as that is kind of painful as somebody who gets paid to talk and write about this team.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the, the bottom line is these games don't matter. I mean, you know, it's, it's it's hard, you know, they do in the micro sense and the people are paying to show up, but in the macro sense, the Warriors are going to finish with the best or second best record in the Western Conference, almost certainly the best record, unless they really take their feet off the gas or have significant injury issues. And so really, this is all just about them finding their rhythm and staying healthy and, and being on the same page as they get to the playoffs. That That's what the next six months are about. After the way last season went, when they pushed for 73 wins and then didn't win the championship, they weren't going to come into this season with the same level of fire that they had to prove their doubters wrong after winning the championship the year before and being told it was a fluke. So, you know, now they look at what happened and say, all right, what really matters is what happens in April, May, and June, not what happens all before that. And that's been reflective in the way they've played because even though they are 16-3, and most of their wins have been, you know, games where they've kind of, Gone at 70, 75 percent, and then if they've had to put their pedal, the foot to the floor, they've done it and, and come away with wins. But they haven't had the same kind of, you know, 48-minute drive that they did last year when they were routinely putting games away after three quarters.
0: Something that was different tonight that I noticed throughout is that normally Clay Thompson has this kind of ebb and flow to himself, which is that he'll take a lot of open shots no matter what. You know, if he has a clean look, he's going to take it. That's no surprise. But generally speaking, he doesn't start shooting worse looks until he's already built up some confidence. And tonight maybe it was some of it was a little bit of Houston scheme and the warriors were stagnant at a couple different moments in the game most notably in the second overtime but clay was shooting the hot clay shots even though he hadn't made the precursors
1: yeah i think everybody just started pressing a little bit i mean i mean the, the rockets were really really good in this game and i think the warriors were just kind of on their heels for most of it i mean they trailed they trailed for the vast majority of regulation yeah um and just you know couldn't couldn't really get their footing, and I, I think I think when that stuff kind of tends to happen. I think you see a lot of guys will you know respond to that by um, by pressing a little bit, even guys as good as on the Warriors. And I, I think I think this is an example of um, I think this is an example of the Warriors. You know, looking at an opponent that that could score as much as them, and thinking, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta get some points to get back in the game." And instead of instead of just going, you know, kind of play by play and thinking, "All right, we can get back in this with a couple, you know, routine plays here." And I think, I think to your point, some of those shots that Clay was taking was emblematic of that.
0: They were, and it was it was weird in the sense that it was a, it was an exciting game. It was a good game, but. I don't know that there was any warrior that I would overall say played really well. Like Draymond had some real nice moments. Durant had some great moments, especially. I would say, blocks.
1: I would say, I would say Durant did. I mean, I think Kevin Durant was fantastic. I mean, he yeah, Oh yeah, no,
0: You're right. I'm thinking, I was thinking more of the overtimes, but in regulation, he was. Yeah. Great. I mean, he, he struggled a little bit in overtime and, you know,
1: you could argue that it was, it was that he got tired. I think that's probably some of it, you know, Draymond green after the game, his theory was that the Warriors got stagnant as a whole. And so that led to Stefan and Kevin taking a lot of shots. They normally wouldn't have um, because everybody else was kind of standing around and watching Re- regardless of which theory you believe is correct. Um, I thought, you know, Durant was just, I thought fantastic in the game. And um, you know, once again, I mean, I don't think there's been one game this year he hasn't played well in. I mean, it's really been, you know, he's always been one of the league's most consistent players, but it, it has been pretty remarkable to see just how efficient and how good he has been over the course of the season.
0: And when things broke down, I think it was in the first overtime, he did do a better job of getting to the line, and that's always been a strength in Durant's career. And, it you know, it's kind of, waxed and waned this season just as it does for basically every single good warrior, you know, whether they get to the line very often, but he went when it was necessary a couple of times, he got some nice fouls, and I think it was at the end of the first overtime where he, you know, he just drove the lane and got two.
1: Yeah, it was the end of regulation, I think, when uh, after they after they got down two, because Clay made, I think Clay made that shot at the end of overtime to tie I think you're it, right. if I remember, right? Um, but yeah, but no, but that, you know, and I, I got some flack for tweeting it at the time, but that, because people people took it the wrong way but that that kind of possession is why the Warriors went and wanted to get Kevin Durant it's not that they didn't have a great team before but you know to your point they didn't have anybody that could get to the line in a key spot like that they had to make shots in those spots and Durant basically dared the the the, the Mavericks dared the Rockets to foul him in that spot and 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 they did because you know he, he's adept to your point at, at drawing fouls and that's something that if you look across the rest of this roster, there really isn't another guy that can do that. And when you're in late and close situations, you know, James Harden on the other side is a perfect example. If you have a guy that can get into somebody and draw a foul in a spot like that, that can really be a huge advantage for the offense. And, you know, it, it's a big reason why the Warriors are able to keep that game going into the end of the overtimes.
0: Particularly when you can draw an unambiguous whistle, like there are some guys who get into trouble because they're good at getting contact, but it leads to a lot of judgment calls. Stephen Curry is actually one of these guys, you know, he, Stephen Curry draws a lot of the ones where the ref is sitting there going, uh, and those, those marginal ones almost always go to a no in key moments of regular season or playoff games. But what Durant does, what Harden does, you have to call that.
1: Yep, yep. They do a great job initiating hard contact. That's that's impossible to ignore. And to your point, in in, in a late and close situation, the ref doesn't want to be the story. Um, so if you you know if you give them the ability to let the play be determined by who's on the court, they're going to try to do that because that you know it's human nature. And the, these guys you know regardless of what fans think, these guys don't want to influence the outcome of games. Um, yeah. But if, if you if you're excellent at drawing fouls like those two guys are and making it so it's impossible for them to call it they're still going to do their job and call the fouls it's supposed to if if it's put in front of them and they have to
0: if i were to say one notable takeaway from this game and it's always hard to do even if it's the first day of december andre guadalla's reluctance to shoot is something that has to be addressed in some sort of way because there are a lot of different Ah. ways to remedy it like you can dribble you can pass you can do something else but teams will exploit that if he's not willing to shoot
1: yeah, it's funny because he he came out and took a couple shots early and he made a couple shots in the game and it wasn't like he shot terribly, but but you're right. I mean, it is and he, and he has played well two games in a row now, I think overall, which is a nice sign for the Warriors because he he was somebody that I was a little concerned about from a macro standpoint cuz it was hard to tell if he was um if he, he was banged up or if he just was, you know, not it was kind of another of these guys that was taking it easy in the regular season because he even though his plus minus numbers were still excellent, he wasn't having the same kind of individual impact he'd had in the past. But, you know, I think if you if you look at this game and and you and, and there were several instances, I know, I think Nate at one point, Nate Duncan, I think at one point tweeted that uh, you know, the record is scratched so much that it's broken at this point. Um, you know, when when Iguodala just refused to shoot a couple times. I mean, and that is something that is going to be a problem for them because, you know, it's it's become pretty clear as the season's gone on that that Steph and Clay and, and Durant are going to get their shots, and they're going to get their shots every game pretty much the same numbers they always have. And the reason why is because basically everybody else on the team then doesn't shoot the ball. And, you know, that's fine, especially in the regular season, but if you get into the playoffs and teams basically say, all right, we're going to make sure that those three guys don't beat us, now it's up to Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala to beat us, well – then those guys have to be willing and able to step up and make shots. And if they can't, the Warriors aren't going to be in a much different situation than they were last year when it was Harrison Barnes in that spot taking those shots. You know, if, if Andre Iguodala becomes the same kind of, you know, just put in that same kind of spot and isn't willing to step up and make, take and make them, then, you know, even if they have Kevin Durant on the team, they might run into the same issues they did in the finals.
0: Nate and I were watching the game together at Twitter because we are doing the Twitter show, and I turned to him at one point after Steph fouled out and said, the Warriors only have two guys on the floor right now that they would trust to shoot a three. And all that was different than the death lineup, the normal death lineup, the, one of the best lineups in the league, was Livingston for Curry. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, it, that is kind of like it is something I've been saying kind of since the regular season started. And I've kind of looked at this team. But, you know, last year they had guys that they could bring off the bench that could be impact guys that could really change the game. And they don't have that anymore. And, I mean, look. Do you trade a couple impact bench guys and Andrew and Harrison Box, Kevin Durant? Of course you do. You do it every time. But it has made the team very different. And they are in a situation where they, they really do only have three guys that can score. And, you know, I mean, Draymond Green can score and and is, is capable of doing it. But, you know, that's not normally what his strength is going to be. And it's not and what he so, wants to do. He, and it's not what he wants to do. Right. He... You know, I think, I think there was some worry that Draymond was not going to handle that very well. But I, I think, you know, throughout the season, he's been fantastic at fitting into his role and doing exactly what I think Steve Kerr has always wanted him to do, which is, you know, get a few shots a game, mostly on putbacks, on rebounds, and in the occasional open three, and then go out there and play maniacal defense and make passes and do everything else. But you go up and down the rest of the roster, all the bigs are not scorers. There is no, there's no most fates on the team this year for a guy like him. Um, you know, like Ian Clark can make some open shots, but he he can't really do even though Leandro Barbosa was limited at times, Barbosa was a much more of a pure scorer that could have a ten or twelve or fifteen point quarter where Ian Clark can make some threes but he's not the same kind of threat. Well and so Barbosa had to go up and down the roster. Yeah, Barbosa could create shots. He could he could he could you know run some pick and rolls, do some stuff. Ian can't really do that. Pat McCaw doesn't really do that. Andre Iguodala doesn't do that. Livingston doesn't do that. So I, I do think that is something that as the year goes on and as we get closer to the playoffs, that is something to think about with this team. Because, like to your point, if somebody gets injured or if somebody fouls out. Um, and you're in a situation like they're in tonight, all of a sudden you start to run out of options pretty quick to give the ball to. And if it's just, hey, let's just double-team, you know, in this situation, let's just double-team Steph and – or uh, not Steph, Clay and, and Kevin and, and make somebody else hit a shot, the Warriors might not have anybody else that can hit a shot.
0: And in those circumstances, they're going to have to rely on their defense because they can get points in transition, but they have to actually get stops yes. in order to do that.
1: Yep, 100%. And, it, you know, it, and again, like I'm not that – I'm not saying any of that – uh, to be clear, as the sky is falling situation, the team is 16-3. and three. They're still an excellent team. This is a great game. They just happened to lose a coin flip game. That's fine. But, you know, I the, the the bench thing is something that I've really been thinking about a lot since the season started. And, you know, I, it makes me wonder if they get to some point, you know, whether it's in the postseason or, or in, in a big spot, and they just don't have that one extra guy who can come in and change a game if they need somebody to.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something to consider. It was very different for me to have a Warriors home game at Oracle that I did not attend because Nate Duncan and I were doing the Twitter NBA show, and it made me realize how much I enjoy live sports. It's something that I get to do get for free, or actually get paid to do very often. And I recommend the experience, especially in the NBA. It's a fantastic thing, and one great way that you can do that is through SeatGeek. So SeatGeek is a a wonderful ticket buying and selling if you're interested in that service. And part of what I like so much about them is that they are an aggregator. So there are a lot of different ticket sites out there. They put it all in one place with SeatGeek and also they have a deal score. And so I thought originally, you know, I, I've actually used to buy and sell tickets to make a living and I know these arenas really well, especially in the Bay area. But what I found as I started using SeatGeek for my own stuff, whether it was concerts, going to Giants games or whatever, I found myself looking at their deal scores and realizing they were perfectly in line with my own in my own kind of intelligent read on the situation and so i just started going okay look at that because what deal score does is it combines the seat quality and the price and it says hey this is a good deal this is a bad deal and so it's a great way to kind of figure out where things are and at a place like oracle or wherever else there are a lot of great places to go to shows to go to games in the bay area and around the country and one of the other great things about SeatGeek is that the relationship with us so if you use the passcode lo warriors so you download the free app and there's an inner promo code thing under settings, you get $20 off your first order. So you get to try out the app, see see if you like it as much as I do, and you get $20. They'll just send it, they'll send it right back to you. And again, the promo code is L O Warriors. And there aren't many better examples of why it's fun to see a game live. Yes, they did lose, but to see a game live than this one. And so I definitely think you should check out Seeky. So, I mean, I think that it's always hard... You want, there is this thing in, in our nature that we want to make these big pronouncements that we want to make this other than the Iguadala thing which I think is kind of something we're going to need to follow was there anything else in this game that stood out as like oh this is something to watch as we move forward throughout the year for the Warriors or for the Rockets
1: Yeah, I mean, the the Draymond kick. I mean, it's a thing we haven't talked about yet, and it it is, I think, the the thing hanging over the game. You know, I have a lot of respect for Nate, who is a friend of mine also, uh, as well as you. Um, But I I fundamentally disagree with him, saying that that wasn't an intentional move by Draymond Green. The bottom line is it doesn't matter if it was an intentional move by Draymond Green or not. like He is going to get a flagrant foul every single time he kicks his leg out and connects with a player. It doesn't matter if it's something that he means to do or it's a natural kicking motion or an unnatural mode. I mean, none of that matters. And so the Warriors can argue till they're blue in the face that Draymond didn't do it on purpose and Draymond could do the same thing. It doesn't matter. He's going to get a flagrant foul called every single time. And if he doesn't change that behavior and stop doing it, there's the chance that the same thing that happened last year is going to happen again. Now, I'm sure Warrior fans listening to this podcast are going to get very angry now and probably start throwing things and say, it's unfair that this happened. And, you know, Draymond clearly wasn't trying to do that on purpose. And how, you know, how could you? possibly look at that situation and think that he was you know was trying to kick him and, and whatever the excuse may be, I'm not I'm not judging whether he did it on purpose or not. I'm I, I know that, you know, it's something he's always done. I'm I'm not trying to to say that he's a dirty player or anything like that. But from a from a strictly warrior standpoint, he is one of their four best players. They need him on the court to win any kind of important game. And he needs to stop doing this if he doesn't want to risk having An unfortunate suspension, which, you know, I think is, I think pretty clearly. A major reason why they didn't win the championship last year.
0: It certainly played a big role. I mean, that game five was there for the taking if he had been eligible to play. And the problem there there are a couple different things. So one, I think this is on this one was on the specious side, especially I, I made this point on the show that Nate and I did, but he kicked where somebody wasn't, and then eventually he was there. But the NBA has a pretty close to zero tolerance policy in terms of hitting guys in the head. I mean we saw Andre Andre Drummond
1: 'm gonna yeah I'm gonna cut you off first go ahead they insti- they instituted a rule to stop draymond green from picking people i mean th- they they flat out said we have people's legs going all over the place and to protect our players we're gonna stop it from happening they flat out said that in the preseason so again it doesn't matter like that's why I said before like i'm not i'm not even disagreeing with you and Nate i'm not trying to argue that it is isn't a it seemed like it's a bit of a borderline call or it was hard to tell if he was, you know, if Harden's head moved in there, or whatever, like all that stuff is fair. And I'm not, I'm really not questioning whether that's true or not, but it doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, it does not matter. If the NBA, like people want to, people always want to say that the NBA is willing to, to call a foul in one spot and not call a foul in another spot, right? If you're going to call a flagrant foul on that play in double overtime of a national television game where, you have one of the league star, two of the league star players involved in the play, and you're going to call it then, you're going to call it any time. And that's why I say, from Draymond's perspective, it doesn't matter whether it was specious, whether his intent was there, or anything. He has to stop, he has to do whatever, I, again, I know this is like the way he's always played, and he throws his leg out to bounce himself or whatever, but the bottom line was his head, his foot was like six feet off the ground, and I mean, it, It's just, it's just something he has to try to stop or else this kind of situation is just going to keep coming up again and again. And look, we saw last year, right? Every one of these little plays will add up. And it's not like the NBA changed his flagrant foul policy in the playoffs this summer. I mean, it's, it's all the same rules. It's all the same stuff that led to the situation where Draymond wound up sitting out an NBA Finals game last year. And it's so, pragmatism. You know, I
0: mean, that, that's really the point. Whether it's fair or it's not is immaterial. It, it really doesn't matter. Right, exactly. Matter. And, and so you exactly. just have to, that's, you have to deal exactly with the rules. Point. You have to deal with the rules as they are. And if that involves you toning it down, whether you think it's fair, or you think it's not, no matter what, I mean, this isn't the NCAA banning slam dunks because of Lou Cinder. Like, it's not that. It's something that they're, they're going after more for player safety. And yeah, it probably does affect him more than most. And there, there is an onus on the league to referee it fairly. But even on a broader point, the league has been very cognizant. And this is where I was going before with guys getting hit in the head, right. you know, like Andre right. Drummond got tossed from a game because he elbowed Roy Hibbert in the head. And it's not completely yep. clear whether that was intentional either. I mean, it was stupid. He shouldn't have been swinging his elbow right. and Roy Hibbert's seven, two. So it's not that much of right. an accident. But again, Andre Drummond got kicked out of a game in the second quarter, huge thing. You know, they ended up winning the game, but that's the sort of thing that happens. And so I don't, I personally don't care if you think it's fair, you think it's, it's unfair for the near term because there is nothing that can be done to change it. So all you have to do is play the game as it is done. And if you want to do it a little bit and, you know, play the risk game and all that, that's something. But understand that you're playing with fire and that there is a, that, that it can hurt your team at the worst possible time. And with Draymond in particular, it's not like he ever gets those calls. You know, like, it, there are some guys who, like, Russell Westbrook is kind of notorious, and I've, I've followed Russ's entire career since he was a freshman at UCLA. He kicks his legs out a lot, too, but he does it in kind of a different way than Draymond does. He doesn't do it after contact. He does it to initiate contact. And while you can say that's maybe yeah, and arguably... Russell
1: Westbrook and Russell and Russell Westbrook got called in a big spot late in the game. I think it was in the Indiana game They lost at home because he kicked in the groin. Yeah, on a jump shot. And 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 the fans in Oklahoma City did the same thing. Oh, how can you call this a foul? There's no way he meant to do that. It doesn't very clear of guys kicking their legs out and potentially injuring people. And so they said, we're going to stop people from doing it. And so for Russ and for Draymond, if you're going to keep doing that, you're going to get fouls called on you. And that's why, like, after the game tonight, you know, there are people within the Warriors organization who are upset, who said he didn't do it on purpose. Draymond clearly didn't think he did it on purpose. Draymond also thought he got hit in the head on um, the foul by Montrez Harrow with 20 seconds to go in overtime and double overtime. I still haven't got a chance to see the replay of that play yet. I'm hoping to see it at some point tonight to get a better look at it, see if he's right or not. Um, but – but, but none of that matters when the bottom line is the NBA is going to call this every single time, especially when it involves Draymond Green, and then especially when he kicks somebody. It doesn't matter. Like that's why, to me, the, the, argument, the arguments about whether it's meant or intentional or not or any of that stuff, it, it just doesn't matter because you said it best before. It's a pragmatic situation, right? You have to look at it from, okay, if I do this, the NBA is going to punish me every single time. So I need to try to put myself in the best situation possible to avoid punishment because last year I saw how costly that could be to my team.
0: And since we're already on the on if getting Warriors fans mad at mad at me for unpopular opinions, (laughs) Stephen Curry's sixth foul, in my opinion, was a bad call. However, you don't commit stupid fouls earlier in the game and then put your basically put your playing life for that game in the hands of the referees. Right. That is the sort of right. thing that happens. And I get so frustrated when it's particularly when it's the sixth foul. Because the nature of basketball, there were numerous other times that Curry put himself in position to get called well, look, for a foul. I was
1: gonna say, not to interrupt you again, but on the very prior on the exact on the, the very prior possession, if Trevor Ariza isn't completely exhausted, he catches the ball in the corner, gets Curry in the air, and then just doesn't jump. <laughs> like if he had just jumped when Curry was in the air, jumped into him, Curry would have had a shooting foul. I think on a three and fouled out anyway.
0: Yeah, so, and he, know, had a, like, he had a there's, reach, there's he all- had a reach earlier in in the first overtime when he could have fouled out that he should have got they could yes. have gotten called for.
1: Yes, yes. So it's not like it, it's not like uh, it's it's not like there weren't uh, like you said it's not like there weren't other plays that he could have got that foul on. And, and look, am I thrilled with that call? No, dude, I'm, I'm with Nate. And I think you're in the same opinion. Like I wish they just get rid of those charges. I wish they get rid of pretty much all block charges. Like the, the rules is kind of a mess and it'd be better if they got rid of it or, or, you know, drastically modified it. But you know, at the end of the day, the rules are the rules, and he had some stupid reach fouls in the first quarter. Uh, you know, again, like that, the literally the play before, he you know, if Reeves is exhausted, he probably gets called for a shooting foul. And gets he pushed Ryan Anderson there, so. in the
0: back on an offensive rebound. Like, yes, that's that, right. I mean, it doesn't, yeah, like, it doesn't matter how shifty or whatever right. you're trying to be. That's always going to get called if a ref has an angle on it. Like, that's one of the pushing right. the guy's back when he's in the air is one of the yeah. easiest calls to make ever.
1: It's the, one of the
0: easiest calls to make, other than a guy right. getting kicked in the it.
1: face. That's right. And they're going to call it every time because it's another safety thing. They don't want people shoving people in the air. And that's just right. I mean, yeah, all that stuff, all that stuff always annoys me. All of the, you know, woe is me. The refs are out to get us. The refs are terrible. Look, if you're, if you're, if you're playing in a 48 minute game, in this case, a 58 minute game, if you, if you're going to, if you put yourself in enough dumb spots with enough ticky-tack fouls that's going to wind up costing you. And I think Steph would be the first to admit that the way he played in this game, he had a couple of dumb fouls, and in the end, that really wound up costing him.
0: And it's not exactly the first time that the Warriors have had to deal with dumb fouls from their guards. I mean, I, I have ripped on Clay for it for basically my entire tenure covering the Warriors. But now Steph has yeah. kind of taken that mantle. He had he, he fouled out it was a game six of the finals. Like he's had some yeah. he's had some moments. And I the point that yeah, I always he's used got to make a
1: pension. He's got a pension for these. He's got a pension for these stupid reach fouls early in games. And it's become kind it, of a trend. It with
0: comes him. back. I mean, so basically the way that if I were ever to If a coach ever asked for my opinion, and they don't, and that's okay, I would say (laughs) you should have your star players and basically not do anything that could get called for a foul in the first quarter of games. Sacrifice four or five, six points if you have to. But if you could get, let's say for the Warriors, if you could get Durant, Draymond, and Steph clean sheets for the first quarter of 90% of their games... I would sacrifice a couple of points every single game to do it because the biggest way the Warriors are going to lose is those guys fouling out.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, look, sometimes you're going to pick up a foul or two here and there, but sure, you know, I course. think even more, even more than even more than saying than saying it that way, it's that don't do anything stupid. Like, just don't commit stupid fouls in the first. Six minutes of a game, or the first quarter of a game, like like Steph Curry reaching in 35 feet from the basket is just stupid. Like, <laughs> there's no there's there's no reason um, there's no reason for that to happen. So this actually reminds me of something. Um, I thought it was very interesting that Steve Kerr yanked him multiple times on defensive possessions. Yes. And fans claimed that it was a five foul thing, which at first I thought about, and then the more I thought about it, they were the final possession of. Both regulation and overtime, you're not worried about fouls at that point. So that's not a that's not a that's not a foul situation. That's a we want a better defender on the floor situation, and I, I found that to be very
0: interesting to me. Kerr should be willing to do it more often to send a message, especially this year when Curry has not been good defensively. You know, I, I, I right. it's a very Kerr is far more emotionally intelligent than I am. I am open. I am open to admitting that, but. If you feel that you can do that to send a message and to give your team a better chance of winning, particularly with the Rockets, because they play some really big backcourts, you you have to try to do it. And Curry is the only one of the Warriors' best players who is an inconsistent or, at times, bad defender. He's not bad all the time. Yep. I mean, he's has he has some good moments, but...
1: No, but it, but he, ha- and he hasn't been as good this year as he has been in the past.
0: No, and that's also something that over time would be a great role for either Ian Clark or Patrick McCaw to have instead of Livingston, because Livingston is, is good, he's smart, but I like somebody a little bit faster, and I understand why Kerr doesn't have the faith in Clark to be that defensive sub yet, but if one of those two a little bit faster, a little bit younger guys could make that happen, it would be even better.
1: Yeah. No, I just, I thought that was, I thought that, I mean, the funny thing about this game and like, I still have to actually write my column for the Washington Post for the morning, but um, I mean, the thing that everyone's going to talk about and understandably so. And the thing I'm going to wind up writing about is this, this dream kick. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that going back to the finals, obviously, but like <laughs> it is funny just how many things happen in this game from, you know, step being yanked those two times a uh, Jared Dubin posted a really funny vine that I thought was telling where, I can't remember which possession it was. I think it was the end of regulation. Um, might've been the end of overtime. I don't remember which, but Steph was out there and was doing literally everything he could to not guard James Harden on a switch. Um, was basically throwing people uh, into switches and, and hedging over screens to, to not get stuck on a Harden, uh, a Harden pick and roll coverage. Which I thought was was interesting. Um, you know, just, all of the different stuff that happened with the Rocks in the game. It was, it was a really fascinating, great game. And I mean, I, I, mean, I tweeted after the game. I mean, I, I really think that was the game of the year. Um, and there, there was just a lot of really interesting stuff that you could dig into if you wanted to. And I, Eric Gordon's, kind of Gordon's
0: behind-the-back dribble. Like, he had. He, oh, yeah, that, who, I mean, who did he, he was
1: shake? Just, him and Ryan – I don't even remember. Him and Ryan Anderson and Harden were just incredible in that game. Like, if you – for all the people, including us, and I, I'm not even – backing away from my criticism of the deals they signed this summer. Like, that game right there in that system, that's why they signed those guys. Like, their their ceiling is limited – they're, they're. I think they came into this game at like the 27th ranked defense in the league. They're probably not that bad, but they're definitely not good. Um, but they have, but they're fourth, third, or fourth in offense, and they're going to be in the top five in offense so those guys are healthy. And they're going to be a juggernaut. So, I mean, yeah, there's just there's a ton to dig into from this game. But you know, as tends to be when Draymond is involved, the the story is going to be Draymond and his comments after the game, and it, you know, just all of all of everything that happened with him. And it's uh, it's it's uh, it's it's fitting, I guess. Given that it's the Warriors, and that tends to be the way things go for them.
0: I was thinking about those signings as well, uh, and one element of kind of of my criticism of it was the idea that the Rockets I didn't feel were going to be good enough now to basically make it worth it because Gordon and Anderson are both going to age probably poorly over the life of this contract. They both already had injury histories despite being relatively young and they're going to do that. And so basically the reason that you invest in that is to, because basically you're going to win now and then you're going to pay that off when they get a little bit worse. They've been better than I expected. You know, they've been a better team and while I, you know, like my pure, like cold-hearted ra- rationalism would say, oh, well, you don't do that for a team that's not a championship contender, and I do not believe the Rockets are that. A lot of owners are willing to roll those dice, and it's not like they were going to maintain flexibility forever, especially after they pay James Harden. So, yeah, it's not great. Yes, I wish they could have given either of those guys three years instead of four, but, you know, I-, I-, I, it's, it's defensible even if I disagree with it, and I think that's an important distinction to make sometimes.
1: Yeah. No, and look, here's the other thing, right? They got James Harden to agree to a contract extension this summer, right? I mean, they got they got James Harden to stay there for a longer period of time. And I don't think there's – I mean, would he have done that if they hadn't gone out and tried to make moves to win right now? Yeah, maybe. He might have. But I think the fact that they went out and got Mike D'Antoni, a guy who is said to James – James, you're going to have the ball. You're going to run pick and rolls. You're going to be able to put up a million assists. You're going to do all this stuff. I mean, Dan Tony, for a comment right on Monday, Dan Tony told me this morning he thinks that everything James Harden's doing is sustainable. So, you know, P thinks James Harden's going to put up crazy numbers. And, you know, they went out, they get Dan Tony. He's going to have the ball in James Harden's hands 48 minutes a game. They go out and get Ryan uh, Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon, two guys that can bomb threes that are going to make shots for him. Like, I, I think that. You know, to your point, yes, optimally every team should go into the season doing everything they can to win a championship. But sometimes when you have a guy like James Harden and you're in a situation where you might not have the rest of your roster ready to compete right now, if you can go get some guys like that that fit in what you want to do and, like, they become a 50-win team and they're the fourth or fifth seed in the West and they get to the second round of the playoffs, I mean – that's a building point for them. And then they could start to move forward from there with, you know, some guys like Decker and Capella, some young guys that are interesting. And who knows, maybe all of a sudden you've got a couple of young guys that look good in the Tony system. You have a first-round pick or two, you turn around, you trade for another good player. And then maybe you have the core that you need to really go toe-to-toe with the Warriors. And so maybe Kevin Durant leaves or Steph Curry leaves or something weird happens. I mean, you know, so to to just always say – this team is maxed out of the ceiling and that's a bad thing I think is unfair at times to these teams. And I think, you know, I think if you look at what Houston's done, I think the fact that they got James to commit and you look at the success they're having, I think it's safe to say, at least for now, it looks like in the short term, it could work out pretty well. Now I'm curious what you're probably as high or higher on Utah than just about anybody. Um, Where, where do you see, um, do you see, I assume you still see, Houston behind Utah in the West, unlike me?
0: I do, assuming Utah's at full strength, which we haven't really seen at all this year. So yeah, I would say they are, right. but in terms of record. But something that I wanted to talk about a little bit that's a lesson the Warriors front office can take from the Rockets. And of course, the Warriors are in a much more constrained circumstance for a variety of reasons, both owing picks and just the financial lack of flexibility because they have four superstars. The thing that the Rockets have that I really appreciated tonight is, is players who complement their star, but also do different things well. And so the Warriors have this, you know, they have a lot of good players, but they don't really have those kind of archetypes. You know, like they have, Andre Iguodala is a great player, but they don't have like that just... Maybe he's just a sparky gunner type guy. They don't have a Montrez Harrell. Like they they, they're they have a lot of just like kinda good basketball players and they don't they didn't go in that direction. And maybe that's you know, obviously you wanna you wanna build as strong as you can in the future. You know, you wanna get the Shane Battier for the middle level exception, you wanna get the Ray Allen, you wanna do what Miami did, and that might be possible, it might not. But getting guys who are very good at something specific and also play really hard that can be enough, especially considering, you know, the Warriors have had some good signs from the guys that they drafted. So maybe you aim a little bit higher with the other guys and just see if some, some of them work.
1: Yeah, I know. And that goes back to what I was saying before. I mean, I agree completely. I mean, it's something I've really, I've really been focused on since the day the season started and just kind of watching this team and just even through the preseason, just seeing that while I like their players on their bench, I mean, Andre Woodall and Sean Linkson are elite bench players and have a cause to look like a decent rookie. And, um, you know, like David West is fine. Like, their bench is full of a bunch of guys who are fine and are productive and helpful, but they don't have guys that pop. And last year they had Festus Azalea that could pop on defense, and they had uh, Mo Spates and Leandro Barbosa who could pop on offense on any given night. And I think it's different when – they basically have a team where they have three guys who can score and then a bunch of guys who support the three guys who can score. I mean, on the vast majority of nights, that's probably going to work because those three guys are three of the probably eight best scorers, ten best scorers in the world, and so it's going to be fine. But, you know, if there is a night where one of them's hurt or one or two of them are off or whatever, it would help if you had another guy who could step in and, and you know, pop and change the game. And, you know, to your point, they just they don't really have any guys like that. And you know, I'll be very curious to see if, Either through buyouts or maybe they can swing a, a minor trade or something. They can't try to go find a guy or two like that to, to make a little bit of a difference as the year goes on.
0: Yeah, I'm going to do some work probably over the weekend in terms of the very preliminary kind of buyout stuff. And the question this year, which is going to be bigger this year than most years, is is anybody going to follow Joe Johnson's lead? You know, somebody who leaves uh, leaves money on the table because the, the players who would make a difference for the Warriors are going to be guys who are good enough to leave money on the table. Do that specifically for the opportunity to maybe actually play for this team. And that's what Joe Johnson did with the Heat. He parlayed that into a nice contract with the Jazz and a nice role. You know, I think that worked out as about as well for him as it could for anybody. And so just like we've talked before about how LeBron resting himself in the regular season and then having that crazy playoff run influenced the Warriors and influenced a lot of these other star players on great, great, great teams. Maybe Joe Johnson has that legacy and the Warriors end up being the beneficiary.
1: That's certainly going to be something to watch because I, I think I think if you ask, you know, I, I think the warrior, the war, I mean, the Warriors are smarter than us, so they they know that that that's something they'd like to have, and it will be fascinating to see if you know they're able to they're able to do something about that. And again, to be clear, the Warriors are in great shape. Yes.
0: They're the not favorites. Like that.
1: It's not like, yes, they're the favorites. It's, it's not like that is a a weakness that will doom them to failure or will prevent them from eating the Clippers or the Cavs or, or any of these scenarios. But it is an interesting development, and I think it's just, it's just a sign that for as... As secure as I felt before the season about this team, I'm still extremely confident that they will wind up being the best team. But it is a little bit of a hole, and it, it, it will be curious to see how they either try to develop guys into filling that hole, or they go out and try to acquire somebody for somebody's to try to to try to give them that little bit of what they need as the year goes on.
0: How is it that they're still giving us so much material? I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous that we get to have this. Well, it's funny. Of- I was
1: I was. Well, I was talking. To Ed, I only cut, I only cut you off because before the game, I uh, was talking to the uh, the imitable inimitable Ray Ratto at the arena, and we were talking about how this team had just kind of been kind of boring, and uh, you know they were sixteen and two, but they would kind of been rolling along, and there wasn't a lot of drama or <laughs> this wasn't a lot of excitement around the team, and then you know four hours, you know, whatever, six, seven, eight hours later, however much later it is now, uh, you know, they've had this insane game. They're probably the best game of the regular season so far. And, you know, you got Draymond Green kicking people again and Steph Curry fouling out and just all kinds of craziness happening. And, uh, you know, as usual, we uh, we jinxed ourselves by making our uh, lives a lot more difficult than they needed to be.
0: Well, I'm not going to ask you if you have anything more to add because I know that you do, but that's because that's what this game <laughs> is. So instead, I will thank you for that's your right. time and encourage you to get some sleep. Sounds great, man. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me. It's always fun doing this after
1: after games, so I look forward to doing it again soon.
0: Thanks again to Tim Bontemps of The Washington Post for taking the time to come on. You can read him at The Washington Post, and you can and should also follow him on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. That's T-I-M-B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S. Love talking with him. It was so fortuitous that he just happened to be awake. He was actually driving back from Oracle for most of it. So we had that conversation, went into a lot of stuff, and it was one of those games that really did pull in a lot of different things to talk about. And this will be the last one of the of the week. I am planning on doing something, assuming the game is notable in any way on the Suns game on Saturday, still working through timing and guests and all that kind of stuff, but I do expect to, and then, you know, a more normal schedule throughout the coming weeks and days, and if you haven't checked it out yet, did did a cool podcast that was combination schedule analysis and the four factors, Dean Oliver's four factors earlier in the week, you can check that out if you want some, some kind of something else and all this, and you can also check out the NFL podcast, Locked On Raiders, Locked On Niners, if you want to take a look at those, because the you know big NFL week coming up, maybe not so much for the Niners, but either way, and if you're a transplant, there are Locked On teams there, and also a lot of great content all around the network, tons of stuff going on right now with the league, very interesting, so you can check that out as well. If you want to support this show, you can do so in a lot of different ways. You can leave a rating, leave a review on whatever podcast player you like, you can tell your friends. Or your your re- human friend, your real life friends, social media people, whatever you want to do, you can also le- you can also subscribe, download every episode. Those are big things. And the other thing you can do is patronize our sponsors. In this case, it is SeatGeek. Download the free app, use the promo code LO Warriors, and you get twenty dollars off your first purchase. I personally do use it all the time. I really do enjoy it when I have when I'm going to concerts or or anything else. It's a great resource to have for everything like that. So if you have any feedback, good, bad, and different, Danny Larue. NBA at gmail.com at Danny LaRue on Twitter. It, you can also listen to the or watch whatever. You can actually see me talk on the Twitter NBA show. The episodes are actually uh, they're They're kept. You can since they're public, you can watch them after the fact or ideally watch it live, but you can watch it after the fact on Nate's Periscope is Nate Duncan NBA, which is the same as his Twitter. So you can go back and watch it. You can hear his rant about the Draymond kick and lots of other things, which Tim mentioned, because I think he watched it as he was working on some stuff. And we did a lot with that. And also, if you watch it live, you can ask questions. We're getting better at answering with Periscope, but we also use Twitter and everything like that. So you can check that out as well. Lots of great work going on there. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.